Hello, and welcome to the Film Design Podcast. I'm your host, Max Lincoln. Christopher Melgram is a London-based production designer and art director. His practice is based across fashion, music moving image, and experiential design. Clients include Kenzo, Hermes, and Reebok. Yes, so Chris, could you tell us a bit about who you are and what you do? Oh, um, my name's Chris Melgram. Um, I go by the name of Christopher Melgram, because I think it sounds very official and formal and uh, exciting. Um, I'm a production designer. I work predominantly in moving image, although I do work in still image. Um, And I kind of work along sort of music, fashion, uh, experiential design, installation, and... um, Yes, I've been doing this for about seven years, um, eight years this year. Um, I went to the Glasgow School of Art and studied something completely unrelated, um, which you kind of, I think, is a is a sort of continuing factor you find in our industry. It's not a, there's, there's not a massive amount of people who went to film school or studied theatre design that kind of are in our industry. Though there are those people do exist, and they're they're obviously very talented practitioners. But I think. The great thing about our industry is it's a kind of like melting pot of people who've kind of like fell into it or like found it um, through through other means. And I think um, I definitely champion and encourage all those people. Um, what did I'm you really study priv- at Glasgow? Sorry. I, I studied visual communication. Um, the old VizCom. It's VizCom, yeah. It's a sort of, uh, it's quite, it's a really fun interdisciplinary course, really, which is kind of gives you sort of design foundation and sort of helps you, it sort of gives you a sort of like, for me, I always think, oh, it's nothing, nothing related to what I do as a job, but it, it gives you a sort of brief driven sort of client relationship kind of like working model, which I think has really been, in, really been such a big, important factor in my practice, actually. <clears throat> um, you, have, you, have these, you have these very open briefs and you have these, it's very conceptual and you use your sort of conceptual brain. And I think, um, what I gained from Glasgow is is a is a kind of it's not so much the kind of like in depth teaching, but the kind of like the people you're with and the kind of the sort of the the references you're given and the books you're given to read and the conversations you have. Um, so I was I was very privileged to go to art school actually, um, and I knew that at the time as well. I knew it was such a kind of uh, such a privilege to be there because you know I, I'm definitely not from that background, which kind of even goes to university. So I think. Being at art school was a sort of childhood dream of mine, um, which was, yeah, a really beautiful experience. But there are other ways as well. Yeah, I think that's really important to talk about. Like we've, um, I've spoken to a variety of people who've come from different backgrounds, um, some through studying film or theatre, um, some through, you know, slightly more left field approaches. But, you know, I think, I think the great thing about the art department is um, you can be from any kind of creative background and there's a place that you could find within it, I think, mm-hmm. which is quite exciting. Yeah, and you, you sort of find your people. I mean, you kind of, you know, it's a sort of, it's such a, as an industry, it's such a kind of, you spend so long at work and you spend so long away with people and you spend so much time, so it's tense periods of time with people. Um, you do become a little sort of community and a kind of ecosystem. Um 
which is which is really nice and i think the difference really enriches that um yeah and so you know you've been to uni you've done visual communication um where did you go from there to you know set designing for you know some of these clients uh yeah it's a weird journey actually <clears throat> i i graduated and it was a de- it was a real sort of depth of the financial crisis um and it was kind of like there was no jobs anywhere and like you know the north especially the north of england and scotland were very badly hit by the the financial crash so there was a lot of kind of like you know in, the, in our sort of degree show there was kind of like it's a horrible time to graduate guys um but you know i sort of i stayed in glasgow because i really loved living there and i and i know as soon as i graduated i signed on the door and i was living in this kind of kind of squat kind of georgian house with all these other creatives and like you know i loved being there it was very really fun and um we sort of did all kinds of things like we signed on and we set up gallery spaces and kind of you know started our own sort of diy kind of kind of um art projects and kind of and created our own work really and i think that was kind of going to continue i really loved that and i got a job in edinburgh working for a gallery in which i commuted every day from glasgow to edinburgh because i really loved living in glasgow um and i really loved this job in edinburgh but i sort of after a while i was kind of like it was sort of gallery assistant work and i, I was sort of thinking about i know what is it that i wanted to do and um i sort of realized the thing i wanted to do since i was a little kid was like work on a big film set mainly period film actually and like just be completely immersed in this like world and i just had no idea how to get there i don't know anyone um even at art school no one really spoke about set design or production design or set decoration or anything like that so it was kind of a whole sort of new world um and i did i did i did the sort of edinburgh kind of television training course um forgotten what they call it now but it's it's kind of like how to get into tv training kind of academy and um and it was very much like factual production based sort of stuff but i knew that could be my sort of vehicle into into the film world and everyone there was like you have to move to london you have to move to london so i kind of like i just thought fuck it let's move to london and um i sort of like i with my last month's wage from stills gallery in edinburgh i sort of like packed my bag and moved <laughs> moved to London with my bicycle and like a Le Creusier pan. <laughs> I mean, at least you know the right type of pan to buy. I, I dream of such I, pan qualities. <laughs> I've still got it to this day. Actually. <laughs> um, yeah, so I moved to London and I, and I sort of, um, I did all kinds of like terrible jobs. Like I worked in like catering agencies, um, which gave me like weird access to like royal palaces and like kind of, so I sort of like loved it as well. It was like a weird sort of like very kind of busy, kind of low paid, under sort of, you know, exploitative job. Um, and I had lots of, I did lots of other things. Like I was a, I was a transcriber for like uh, the old Bailey. Um, I sort of like, I, I sort of wrote court, court cases and did attribution. And it was, that, that was a really, another weird job, which took me into all these amazing buildings in London and Portland Place and all these kind of grand buildings. And I'd sit on these hearings and like see, so I get all these influences. And eventually I got, um, I got a job through a friend of a friend of a friend who I'd met, who got me in on, in for a couple of days on Mr. Selfridge. Nice. Um, and I was just like, oh my God, <laughs> it was, it was like, it was, it was my sort of, all my birthdays had come at once. And, I, you know, being shown around the set, um, 
And, you know, I was very privileged to sort of meet and, and subsequently work with Sonia Klaus, Mike Britton, the set decorator, um, Daniel Burke, the, the graphic designer who I've worked with for many years and still have a very close relationship with. And um, they just showed me how it was even that, and that was a very small, for them, it was quite a small sort of TV show. And, um, but for, it was massive for me, it's huge standing sets. First time I'd seen two-story, three-story sets with staircases, you know, in these meticulous details. You know, Selfridges had like, you know, a marble staircase and like two floors and like, you know, there's a tube station set, there was like house, there's like different kind of buildings, you know, and you're sort of wandering through this kind of carpet warehouse in Neasden and like looking at these and dressing these kind of like sort of meticulously researched and, you know, kind of painstakingly decorated sets. And for me, I was like, I love this. I love it so much. Um, and, I, and I sort of, I worked there for about a year maybe. And then I sort of went on, I went on to other jobs. And I guess the kind of, um, the novelty never really wore off for me, I think. I think for other people, they don't really see it so much. <laughs> but um, I think especially with periods that, with period films, that's like, I do have this sort of real, I don't know, like it gives you a real kind of, it's almost like being in a sort of fantastical museum or whatever. It kind of gives you, you know, it's completely immersive. Um, well, I mean, yeah. you worked you... on Beating the Beast, which surely would have been the epitome of all of the the mad yeah, I mean, that period was like, craziness. That was like that was a culmination. I mean, working for Sarah Greenwood and and Katie Spencer was another sort of highlight and and real privilege. Um, that I mean, that's a next level kind of sort of level of detail and 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 sort of involvement and research and and time. I think for, for, I guess from from all those experiences, they teach you how to work at the highest level um, from such a kind of, I don't know, you can sort of make value judgments on like, by sort of seeing them operate. And sort of, I think the the secrets being to getting the most out of your assisting time is to kind of really observe um, and really step, but keep, open your eyes, but also step back and like know when to step back and know when to push yourself forward. Um, kind of work out what you're good at and, and tell them that you're good at it and then prove it to them. And then you kind of, you kind of get to do really cool stuff, you know? And um, I, I got to like dress sets, you know, and like, you know, and, like, and touch stuff that was, you know, bought at Christie's and like, and I, you know, I got to like see people modeling, you know, sculpting, you know, sort of fire dogs that look like boars and then gilding them, you know, and every stage of the process. And I was, collating that research so I understood a kind of how to work with prop makers and um sort of like very crafted very skilled craft practitioners and how to translate ideas for them to understand and to kind of like work with them and all of those things I'm, I'm on such a sort of smaller level but it kind of has informed my practice and I feel, I feel like I can communicate my ideas visually and explain things and explain how things made because of working with people like Sonia and um, Sonia Klaus and Kate Spencer and all these people because they've given you this window into into this sort of practice. So yeah, incredibly exciting. And I worked for on Beating the Beast for a year, you know, so it's kind of like really uh, indulgent amount of prep. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was such a massive thing. It's kind of like, yeah, you know, a thousand people worked in the arts department. It's like, you know, sort of epic we built a whole village 
<laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's a beautifully designed um, film, and I, I know that you know things like the chandeliers. Every element was designed from like from scratch, and it's just just mad stuff. So your own personal work, um, you know, could you talk a bit about that and the kind of projects you've been doing lately? Yeah, um, I guess my own personal. I'm kind of like um, I I I think I'm sort of starting to now. I think. Um, sort of maybe sort of like in the last I don't know sort of year or so so really starting to develop my style and sort of like trust it and like and my own sort of working practice um I've just got a new studio and um maybe like a year ago and I've kind of just sort of um started working alone I've, I, was, I was I was involved in a collective before um I sort of co-founded Studio Augmenta and like had a really amazing time and I think working separately now has been a really um enjoyable process um and really sort of like i've had to not had to compromise with like my taste or my ideas and like seeing that kind of come to life has been really nice um so i've been doing i've been doing like a a a mixture of different work actually i've been doing um a lot of commercials um uh and lots of like sort of fashion stuff which has been nice i've been building sets for like sort of reebok adidas um i did dolce gabbana um sort of so the sort of commercial work, which is really, which is really nice because you get a kind of nice budget to play with, and you get to spend lots of like time and money in props houses and get all these exquisite things um, together. But I think in sort of personal work, I've been doing more sort of experiential stuff. Um, I worked with Alawalia um, for her collection for Men's Fashion Week before the world ended, <laughs> <laughs> and that was a really that was a beautiful process and like working with her was really really lovely um and she was a dream client actually she kind of came to me we had a few meetings and discussed ideas and where she came from and the thing you know she was a very nostalgic person and like I'm quite nostalgic and we sort of had a rapport and we kind of clicked about certain stuff and her collection was kind of you know she's a sort of sustainable ethical designer and like was talking about her sort of like um, sort of heritage and a sort of ethnic kind of diverse kind of background and it was you know and this and how it was going to inform this collection and how the, she wanted the set to be a sort of a living representation of that collection in a sort of kind of from a sort of Afrofuturist kind of perspective as well so it's kind of like imagining imagining in the 60s if people weren't oppressed how they would live and the kind of the design they would live around. So that for me sparked a kind of like a sort of fire in my belly. And mm. actually since that, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm sort of in prep for a, um, a series of film four kind of shorts. Um, I'm working with like Nadia Latif who's a sort of director, an amazing, amazing director. Um, we're doing these, these Afrofuturist shorts. Um, oh, so it's kind of, there's like more of a continuation of this um, yeah, yeah, yeah. thing going forward, which is really exciting. It kind of got cancelled during lock because of lockdown, but it's like come back. It's been on hiatus. It's kind of come back. We're going on recce's next week, so I'm kind of and we've been on a few recce's during the lockdown. So we're kind of I really want Film Four to kind of like take this project and um and it's kind of like it's Afrofuturist stories told by sort of people of color, and I think like it's a really beautiful project. Um, uh, I'm also doing a sort of install for a sort of uh. Uh, sort of fashion PR agency. Um, I'm redesigning a suite of offices and gallery space. Um, 
And it's the first time I've sort of been a kind of architect, really. It's kind of... It's, yeah, interior design is quite a different thing. I mean, with film, it needs to look like it can last. But then you turn a handle and the whole cupboard comes it's, off. <laughs> it's been a really... I've had quite... It's been a really kind of different process. And I've, I, to be honest, I've really enjoyed it. There's something, you know, working with my sort of carpentry team to kind of like looking at samples and finishes for ages and like really thinking about materials and using new materials and I've sort of designed all the furniture as well so there's kind of it's a all all encompassing thing and I think um it's got you know it's 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 got to last for for a long long time and I've kind of had to think about how things would change and how the space could be changed and could it still work and could it be transformed into something else and reused so it's kind of yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of things to consider and also safety and longevity and and Mm. how things age and weather also is deeply considered so it's a it's a real technical challenge but I've also really enjoyed it as well so we're kind of that's kind of hopefully we sort of our deadline is kind of next week and we're on the sort of detailing stages at the moment um, and picking up yeah the furniture tomorrow from the welders and we're going to sort of give it to the fabricators to sort of like to finish but yeah there's a lot there's lots and lots to do still so it's kind of um yeah it's exciting though and I, and I I'm yeah I'm kind of hoping that's going to be really really nice yeah so following on from there I mean all of those projects are so exciting and it's great to see that you really are being interdisciplinary with your with your practice um but who are the kind of gatekeepers who've helped you along the way to get to where you are now I know you said that you've you know, you've not come from, I guess, the straight film school, small projects, big projects route. Um, is there anyone you'd like to mention or talk about? Yeah, I think there's, there's you know, there's, there's a ton of people I want to mention. I think there's a kind of, it's really important to sort of know who's give you a leg up and who's, who's sort of helped you. Um, definitely, I mean, you know, working for Sonia, was, Sonia Klaus was, a, was, a, was an amazing experience. Um, she really showed me she was very she was very kind she, she she's someone who has a very kind of um if you've ever, ever mentioned her name in the industry people have an opinion about her which is kind of like oh she's quite she's quite scary or she's quite difficult or uh and um i've always ever found her to be sort of really like loving and kind of like and um i don't know i we just sort of i sort of clicked with her and she she showed i remember once after Mr. Selfridge, she had a, Mark Farley arrange this banquet in Farley's Amazing. in this sort of in this Rococo sort of dining room set, and then um, we had a four course meal with wine as a sort of thank you to her her nearest and dearest in the art department. It's like a dinner for like ten people, wow. lunch for ten people, and then we all went to like Julie's and drank champagne. <laughs> <laughs> It's like my first I mean, it job sounds as an incredible. assistant. Um, just to, to clarify that that's in Farley's prop house. Um, so yeah. all of the furniture and everything would just be the most kind of beautiful um, antiques. And yeah, I mean, it sounds delightful. And it was like, there was candles as well. And it was kind of, <laughs> triple, she'd triple like shock. It's like, yeah. <laughs> probably. Got to make them look good. Yeah, but probably. There was a uh, very bright. Yeah. Um, uh, but also, I remember going to Follies with her and like seeing the kind of reception she got. And uh, and you know, when she goes to Follies, 
there's you know there's 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 a kind of like a, a breakfast plate and there's like coffee and ready prepared and you know you know Mark himself greets you at the door and like you know I just there's this very kind of like I I understood like you know when you spend millions and millions and millions of pounds um, through different productions as a, as a set decorator especially um, who worked with Ridley Scott I think you kind of you do have this kind of like cachet with these you know with these companies when I go into Farley's they're a bit like I don't because I, I don't really get to use Farley's very much sadly so I think when I go to Farley's they don't really know who I am and they kind of don't really care <laughs> but I, yeah I think yeah I'd like quite I quite like to get to the stage where someone comes in and you know I she had she's really like she has a real sort of flair and like she would just point to things and like two of those one of those when you have that reupholstered and you sort of wander behind her with like a notepad like trying to like kind of catalogue it all and stuff and it's quite it's really sassy so yeah so Sonia was amazing she showed me she took me on to other jobs and like I got to sort of work on Taboo for a couple of years and like but and like you know did all did all kinds of projects um and other sort of dressing jobs and kind of kept me going really and kind of kept me in a better sort of income um I think that's a huge thing to sort of realise you know I didn't really come from a sort of very wealthy background so I think moving to London was a kind of a real gamble for me um when I was like you know 22 or whatever and like had a kind of um it was a real you know if you don't if you don't if you don't have any money and you don't have any sort of safety net or your parents don't pay your rent life can be really precarious and this this came up in a meeting yesterday um I was sort of having a conversation having a wider conversation with my peers in the industry about how do we safeguard um, sort of vulnerable people or people from BME backgrounds um, or BAME backgrounds and like or have you know how do we champion you know a more diverse intersectional sort of art department and I think really get to know your assistants get to know the people who are coming in to help you for a day um, maybe I don't th- especially at this time it's quite urgent it, try and find out a little bit about their life and like how they got here mm-hmm. and if they need extra help they need you know then it's you can you can give that in some way mm. you know I think the majority of set designers I, I know I work with are, they're very kind people you know it's a very kind industry you have to be a people person and I think a lot of people do that anyway um, but it's kind of like you know we get it's such a stressful job <clears throat> that we don't we always get the time to sort of like make the extra effort mm. you know to kind of like get to know people and try and find out about them um, but I feel like the people that did that with me really kind of understood, and then it kind of and kind of helps me. Also, when you when you're when you're new to the industry, you don't really want to ask for help too much. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you you want you want to, you want to people to believe that you're really like you know just like everybody else, and like you don't want to feel different or othered. Um, so, but I think it's important to ask for help. Also. Um, uh, other people that helped me, I mean, this, I mean, there's, there's so many people. I mean, there's the, um, yeah, there's just, there's just a, you know, a litany of of people who have kind of supported me, um, as as you know, just through luck and like, and I guess we've kind of become a peer group. And you and I, we sort, we worked on jobs together, and I remember we sort, we sort of supported each other yeah, through yeah, very sort I of difficult that. times. Yeah, <laughs> there's like car rides to like southeast, like you know, yeah, kind yeah. Of, yeah an hour and a half every morning and it's kind of you know we I can't remember the job we did but it was like a really hellish job it? it was kind of like I remember um, we were sort of like derelict prison we had to like yeah I remember you and I in a in a former police station like I was 
using a compressor to spray an entire room blue and setting off a fire alarm. <laughs> you were like bombing around in a car that we, we literally found like a carjacking device in the police station and it was the only way we yes. could get into your car. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just remember it was like this, this police station was like covered in asbestos yeah, as well. Yeah, and yeah. It was just like really kind of like, it was really mad. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's a far cry from, um, you know, you then going on to beautiful sets and Beauty and the Beast. But um, I think it's quite important to experience all kinds of mad places in film. I think, and I think also I'm weirdly back at that stage again now okay. as well. You know, I'm just, I've just been to Recce, a sort of derelict hospital um, for, for a job that I'm sort of prepping at the moment. And it kind of just reminded me of that. Because um, I think, especially when you're taking on slightly bigger jobs that you're trying to like make work and mm-hmm. are going to be really good for you and you're going to really enjoy doing, you have to be really ambitious with your, with how, what you can do with the sort of limited resources. Mm. And I remember thinking like, you know, how could anyone get assistance in here to paint this derelict building? It's so, you know, it's so, you're just like, you can easily do it. You know, you can, if that's the vision, you know, it's so important to work with someone with a vision. And like, if you trust their vision, then you'll, you will, you don't mind spending 12 hours a day kind of doing something really backbreaking and laborious. Mm. Cause like when you step, when you step back, the, the end result is so worth it, yeah. isn't it? I think that kind of um, feeds into working with assistants as well. Like as the, head of their department or like one of the senior members of the department you need to make everyone feel a part of the same unit I think that the when I was certainly assisting and doing work experience and all of that the people I worked harder for and really gave that extra piece of my like my literal blood um, Mm. were the people that I really cared about their designs and I really felt that like they cared about me and you know we were doing Mm. this together the ones that kind of it was very like exploitative, exploitative <laughs> like us and them like you know yeah you kind of like injured yourself but they expect you to still turn up yeah. and give more blood rather yeah. than kind of caring the, I don't know the actual blood <laughs> um, but yeah so on that topic like when you're working with assistants and you've got someone new who kind of wants to you know, actually become any permanent fixture within your team. Um, what do you look for in an assistant, and you know what what keeps them coming back? Mm. Mm. Yeah, this is a really good question. I think, um, and I and obviously speak about this with other people as well. And I think that one of the one of the key things about a good assistant is kind of like uh, knowing when to hold back. Um, you know, knowing when to knowing the kind of like etiquette of like. Le- or quickly learning an etiquette of like being on set because there's such a kind of with, and I think it's my role to sort of explain that as well but sometimes you don't always have time but I think like knowing who to talk to and who not to talk to on set it's, re- it's really weird when I if, I if I turn around and my assistant's like having a deep conversation with a client it's kind of like it's almost like you know there's this kind of I should be having that conversation and not even I have that conversation always you know yeah, it's kind of yeah, like yeah, yeah. It's, it's almost like knowing knowing your sort of knowing knowing what your role is and like you know, knowing when to offer like ideas and like, and sort of like, uh, or sort of, you know, feedback as well. Cause you know, sometimes it's a really, really stressful job. And like, you know, it's really, but it's also really nice when someone does come with an idea or like a solution to something, you know, so, but it has to be like well-timed. Cause if you've thought about something, especially in the design process, how it's going to completely operate, you know, and, and I tell someone to do something and they sort of like question it. I, I just find that such like, a draining, sort of it just sapped your energy even further 
Um, I don't want to. I don't always want to explain exactly why I've told you to do something. Yeah, um, it's right. It's a really frustrating thing where you do have this level of of knowledge, and you just need to know that they're doing it. Like mm. you don't need to know the ins and outs. Like I want you to hang a picture. I don't need to know how you're hanging the picture, but it needs to be done when I get back. Um, but then on the flip side of that, I, I remember assisting on a job where there were, it was commercial and there were four prop masters and one of them asked me to hang a picture and each one of them told me that I was doing it wrong and I should do it their way. So <laughs> so I started hanging the picture and then the other one walked in and was like, oh, I wouldn't do it like that. This is how you should do it and told me off. I was like, okay, sure. Started doing it that way and then the next person came in and then the next person and then the first person came back and asked why I hadn't hung it up yet. <laughs> it was just yeah. like... I think I think that's a that's a classic story actually. Yeah. Um, I think also I think I just I think just to wind back from that though I think you know I think telling if you can if you have the time telling someone a reason when you, when you ask them to do something ask telling them a reason why you're doing it or what, or what it's for mm. gives them a, a greater understanding of how to do it. That's true. And I think like I remember that from being an assistant if someone if someone told you I need this result and I need you to go off and do it you can be like you know if you sometimes if you if you're told to do something but there isn't a, the right thing to do it or you have to make a substitution like knowing what it's going to be made into or what it, knowing what it's for is really helpful to sort of make value judgments without constantly running back and asking um uh, but i think also like people assistants that ask questions you know sometimes is really it's really helpful you know i think like rather than just going off and doing it wrong like just don't be afraid to ask as well you know or like do- or double check you sure you want this blue are we completely sure yes great go and do it and it's kind of like i think being it's it's a kind of it's, it's a weird it's a, it's, a, it's a being an assistant is it's very highly skilled job you know <clears throat> being a good assistant and it, it takes time to be a good assistant i think and um and i think it but but also it kind of it takes sort of dedication and like kind of like willpower um but but the more you do it the more you get paid as well and i think that's a really good thing about our industry like we, we can, the money is there to pay people yeah. incredibly well, you know, and I think like, I remember my ad rate when I was assistant was like, you know, is often more than what I get paid now sometimes. That was an amazing period of my life, you know, um, and I think it's really not, but I really love paying, you know, I love, it's funny, you become like an employer and you kind of, you get to, you know, you get to choose your team and I think like, you know, you get to be more selective with who you work with and the different types of people you work with. And I always, I kind of like champion kind of like, you know, sort of queer or POC or intersectional kind of assistance, um, just because that's kind of my, my sort of background and like, I know how hard it is. Um, and it's nice. It's, it's kind of like, you, you sort of feel like you, you can sort of like help people um, and show them really cool stuff, you know, sometimes. So you've worked in a lot of fashion you know, with your your previous collective and you know more commercials now. But how do you find working with fashion versus with working with kind of straight up commercials? Um, how do you find the differences? And if there are differences, what what would the key ones be? Hmm. I guess I don't know. I I feel like I. I guess at my level, I think a lot of the. I guess. There isn't much of a different. I mean fashion is sort of advertising in a sense yeah. you're kind of you're still, it's a kind of commercial job unless it's you're kind of doing a sort of editorial which is kind of 
um, which I think that's what you're getting at. It's yes, like the difference I mean, between I guess I'm and talking more about like fashion stills <clears throat> versus moving, moving image commercials. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there's a kind of, there's a sort of, there's more sort of like, if it, if it, the less advertising there is involved in it, the kind of, obviously the purer, the kind of it is, and the more, the more you get of an involvement, with the less budget you get to play with. So it's kind of like, I think it's a, an editorial is a kind of technical achievement because you have to sort of magic up um, stuff and like, you know, your own physical labour has to go into it and like, you know, you have to pull together um, resources and get favours and like, and you kind of get, have to get people on board with it to kind of like for a greater good, you know, it's like, you know, we're going to make this amazing image and we're going to make this really good thing and you're on board, you want to do it and it's like, can you give your time, you know, and it's like, and I have to be really careful with how I use like, my carpenters or you know my prop makers or people I work with because you know I don't want to waste their time on something so there is a kind of but I think you have to be incredibly resourceful um, and you can't just go to the prop house and just buy the things that you'd want you have to sort of really sort of like beg and borrow and steal it and 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 I think as you as, I think as you progress the budgets will get bigger and more but I think editorial itself is a kind of like a labor of love and I kind of you put your own money into it you know and I think like um, but also you get a sort of real sort of freedom to sort of play and build the things you wanted to do. You know, there's a lot of sets um, that I've worked on that are kind of like, that are come from editorials and they're, they're kind of, these are the sets that I've really loved designing the most, you know. These are the ones that I kind of really explored something which I was like really interested in and kind of, it's a real sort of joy and, and I kind of, you know, you sort of pay for the privilege of doing it. Um, so it's kind it's a kind of investment in it really and a sort of an emotional investment which you maybe don't get so much from like a commercial job. Um, but obviously that's kind of what sort of balances your business practice. And I think without the commercial jobs, you don't really get the opportunity to kind of have extra money to invest into sort of into, into an editorial. Um, but I think, I think that's the same with, um, you know, still and moving image. I think, you know, there's a kind of, I tend to work more in, in sort of moving image now, but I think, um, uh, yeah, I think I think still image is a much more sort of meticulous sort of practice of constructing an image, and I think like you know you really work with a photographer to kind of like compose an image, and I think there's something really beautiful about that, and you have a re- you have a lot more control over it, um, you have a lot more say and a lot more you know you get to sort of see how it will come together, and you and that's it. There might be a little bit of retouching, but that's kind of the image. Um, uh, whereas film, you, you're kind of the films that you're creating are kind of, for me anyway, I'm, I'm creating a more of a visual world in which every detail is correct, but you're allowing the the, the steady cam or the, the tracking shot or the kind of DOP to kind of to kind of pick out details and areas of this world, and it has to all kind of work. Um, so it's, you're creating a sort of a, a, a more physical space, and I kind of, for me, I really love that. The kind of the sets. For me, the, the sets I really love to design are kind of um, a sort of built environment and a sort of on often an architectural space. Um, I love I love sort of architecture and and and, or, and mimicking architecture and, and and creating shoot off corridors and depth and false space or using trans lights or kind of having a kind of um, playing with things. And all these things I've kind of learned through the from what I've seen in the film industry. You know, uh, what I've seen. You know, I saw. Um, one of the first things I ever saw which really struck me um, was this scenic painter called James Gemmell 
and he was painting a sort of 70 foot by 70 foot sky on a crane and he was painting the most photorealistic clouds like this but with like such depth with such skill you know he was hanging off a cherry picker with a, the, of like a brush and a stick <laughs> yeah. just like flicking it and it was creating the most amazing incredible sky and, I, I, and it was just like wow you know and all just for the backdrop of like um, a balcony that was a set <laughs> and it was just like and I think you know you get to like play with all those things and I think for me I've kind of picked up all these things I also have practicals in my set I really love um, I think practicals are really everyone loves you when you bring practicals because you, you're kind of you're helping the lighting department but also you're creating for me you're creating interest and depth and kind of light and like and I love those kind of dreamy blobs you can get sometimes in the back of you know and there's a and, and, you, and you get to be more controlling of that. You, you're sort of stepping into someone else's department. And I really like that aspect of it. So I get to control how things are going to be. So I guess, yeah, I guess, we're, I guess, there are, yeah, there's different way, different types of control you get with still and moving image, um, which I find really interesting. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. It's, it's fun, especially when you get to play with, um, in terms of stills, I've not done much stills but whenever I have it's kind of you get to move the lamp to the perfect position where the light hits it and it just has this amazing kind of reflection across the table whereas in um, commercials like it's it's so fast that you can't really fuck about I've like gone in there to like move the vase and they're like okay Max we need to go and it's like okay cool <laughs> yeah it's like and, and it's, you've always got a first AD sort of breathing down your neck being like come on guys come on we don't have the time and you're like this is really important yeah. I think I think, I think I've, I've, I'm starting to sort of you know as I'm, as, I get, as I'm getting more confident and I've got more experience I'm kind of when a, when a first AD is sort of like shouting at you or kind of like kind of you know berating you it's very sort of very kind of calmly have to just do your thing yeah and sort of and sort of turn down that volume because if this is not right then you know i get a call three months later from the client being like we have to why is this not right you know we have to do it in post now and you're like no it's like this is my job you do your job and it's kind of like you know we have to just work together and i think it's really i think and i think if you're confident about it you know and i sort of know how long things take this will be 15 minutes it'll take me 15 minutes to do this has to be done and it's kind of like I think a lot of our job is about communication and um and, and being a communicator being able to talk to people and and sort of communicate your ideas and like your plan as well you know because I think it's a, it's a it's a it's it really is a kind of like um a kind of like enormous skill set you have to have to sort of do this job and and you know as and as it progress there's more things you have to like take on board from sort of like running a small business to kind of sort of procuring kind of work to kind of keeping clients happy to keeping directors happy to kind of keeping relationships kind of happy and but also to kind of be the creative kind of visionary as well to kind of be able to like kind of like to come up with original concepts and like ideas and like new references and new kind of original kind of thought and and kind of roll it all into one it's kind of it's a kind of a lot to do but I think I'd I think I think when I'm old, if, you know, if I'm, you know, if, if when I'm in a nursing home and I'm really old, I think I'll really deeply miss this, the kind of stress of it all. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was thinking, like, imagine retiring and just be like, what would I do? Yeah. I think lockdown was a bit like, I really miss it so yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. Like just arranging like <laughs> pots and pans in your in your cupboards to the perfect colours and shapes and sizes. 
So something we talked about um, before the podcast that we want to talk about was to do with lack of diversity in the industry. And I know it's something that we're both passionate about, but if you'd like to begin, mm, yeah. I can feed off that. Yeah, no, it's a great question. I think there's, um, I think it's, it's really coming to the, to the fore now at the moment, um, the forefront of like what people are sort of really thinking about. And like, I think, you know, with the sort of, global um sort of movement now you know in 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 solidarity with like blm and like um people are talking about sort of like diversity and the lack thereof and like examining why that is um and i think you know i think especially for me i've I've, you know working working in working outside of london at sort of pinewood and leavesden and shepparton you know often I would be the only person of colour I would see all day, you know. Um, I'd often be the only sort of queer person that would be around sort of, you know, all day. And I think, like, you know, as much as that's kind of like, you know, you don't really notice it so much, but the... It's... It, I think it's a, we're sort of, like, we need to have... We need to change that, you know, and especially, like, we need to bring more BAME people into the industry. We need to like or make these opportunities available um, for people who are not from such privileged backgrounds. I think that's that's it comes to comes down to lack of opportunity in much younger, in a much, you know much further down the line. I think in terms of like schools, education, you know, this job is very niche, and I think like you know this job is kind of um, they don't teach it in schools. They don't teach it really in like you know universities it's not really it's you sort of you end many people enter this profession and the creative industries as a whole through their family or people who've kind of like who they're friends of their family so kind of professionals who know their family who will give you an internship or give you a few days experience on a kind of in a sort of hollywood film you know there's a kind of like and that is like really opening the door to a, a massive career um if you want to take it so i think those opportunities that, that don't really come if you're sort of, you know, or don't come easily if you're from a background such as mine, because you kind of have to like, really like come down for it and like seek it out, you know? And I, I, and, and I, I did like running for ages and, and like I worked on ITV shows running and I got to do my first sort of art department job through kind of that as well. So it's kind of like, you know, these things that can, you have to really sort of like want it and try and to really, you know, really kind of be hungry for it but also you have to tap you know battle a lot of challenges which kind of come your way and i think even and even when you get there you know you don't really feel you know supported um always and i think we need to change that because you know i don't feel you know I've, I've you know i've been around kind of comments that make me feel uncomfortable um comments about the way i look um you know you know comments about you know even me and my team have been like you know privy to conversations that made them feel uncomfortable and you know even me as a sort of you know as a sort of as an employer I feel like how how do I how do I who do I go to you know to share that with it's not really anybody I know without coming across as being um I don't know difficult I think that's that's a problem and it's like and I think times are changing now and I think I'm becoming much more like, you know, I think speaking out about it is really important because it's kind of like, you know, anyone listening to this, I hope would be 
kind of shocked by that and like kind of like would want to help. So there's a kind of there is a thought, you know, we do want to make the world a better place. And I think we have to sort of look at sort of like privilege and who has the privilege and who has these opportunities and it, and it will and, and extend that and, and think about ways in which we can bring people from marginalized communities and across the intersection into the film industry, into the fashion industry, into the creative industries, because we need to sort of, it, it will only benefit all of us, you know? Yeah, I completely agree with absolutely everything you've said. And I think that by having a more diverse like art department and I mean, every aspect of the creative industry being more diverse and the work would be more interesting, you know, it'd be more creative, it'd be more kind of colorful or, you know, less colorful. Like everyone has these, I, I guess, you know, I grew up in Hackney and it's one of the most diverse places in London, I guess, from my perspective. Mm. But yeah, what's so great about it is there are so many different communities all intertwining and you've got all of these different cultural references that you can kind of, you don't even really realize you're absorbing, but you're constantly absorbing. Mm. Like, you know, there's an amazing Turkish restaurant there or a Kurdish one there. There's a whole Hasidic community. And with the industry being not reflecting that, it, it just kind of, you know, it's just so many avenues just aren't opening up that could, I think. Mm. I, I think. I think a lot of the conversation is kind of like, well, you know, it's not very diverse because maybe sort of like, you know, BAME people don't want to do set design, you know, and maybe that's just how it is. And it's like, maybe, but I think I sort of don't buy that, you know, and I think I don't buy, I don't buy the fact that, you know, only white middle-class people enjoy doing set design and like I would, would want to do it. I think there's a kind of like, it's more about like the opportunity isn't there and like the kind of, you know, a lot of our industry is kind of working for free and like, being, being able to do that and like and, and sort of intern for people and contact people and go out on a, on a limb yeah. to do it and I think maybe that's a culture we should address you know I think we have been trying to address it sort of recently but it's kind of you know I think economically it's you know coronavirus has happened a pandemic has happened it's it, the, globally we've paused <clears throat> you know and like the consequence of that is there's going to be probably a really sharp and deep and long recession um, of much economic instability, probably civil unrest, kind of, you know, changing kind of like um, standards. And I think like we need to sort of really like bolster ourselves and kind of like kind of try and change things while we have this brief opportunity to do it. Because I think the future is very uncertain and it's very kind of, it's very, it's very present right now. I think we need to kind of like, we need to it's urgent you know and i think like if we want to like tackle diversity we have to sort of start now you know otherwise it's going to be too late and it's going to be irreversible yeah. you know I, I think it's outrageous what you heard that person say about you know people from a BAME, the like various BAME communities not being interested in set design or people who aren't middle class for example like I think I think I think I think it's a question I think I think it's a question yeah. that maybe like you know I think I think no question is a stupid question sure. you know, I think there's like there's I think I think I think you know I, I feel like if you don't know you're privileged if you don't you know if you haven't read if you haven't <clears throat> been part of a conversation about like I have been you know and my, my peer group and I think you know you're part of that as well that I've been talking about you know identity gender race sexuality 
for like the past five years longer yeah. reading you know, and was and speaking with kind of like you know I academic friends you know we kind of we all kind of have like deep discussions over dinner or you know whatever and it's part of our conversation but I live in a bubble you know and I think like I kind of think that bubble was 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 slightly larger but actually it's maybe not as big as I think it is so it's, it's kind of like uh, allow people to catch up but also it needs to happen quickly and I think we need to quickly get on board with the fact that things aren't equal and yeah. things aren't equal on purpose and like it comes from a historical legacy of inequality and class and and like you know and it, there's no it's no it's no co- I don't believe in coincidences you know I don't believe in coincidences like there's the it just happens to be that only white middle class people like set design because I think like I feel like that's just too much of an easy kind of like answer yeah. to, to a really complicated problem um yeah I, I yeah I, I yeah and I think you know if you're not feeling if you are from privilege and you're not feeling a bit uncomfortable about everything then you're not really engaging you know like anyone at our level and above and you know below who is a gatekeeper and can hire people should be trying to make a change or be aware that things aren't presently level mm. and you know that things should should evolve and should develop further i think i think i think the main step is to kind of like acknowledge that because mm. i think that's that I, I don't i don't want people to just hire you know random black people for no reason just just to say that oh we have x amount of black people on our set aren't we great that's kind of i don't think that is the correct attitude i yeah. think it's more about like if we can understand privilege and understand why people are successful and even look back at your own success and be able to sort of to sort of honestly say that actually I am a very talented person um, however my upbringing and the accident of my birth has helped me become where I am today and actually that doesn't extend to a vast amount of people I think that even that will help you when you're when you're trying to help people if you are a kind person, you know, and if you are the kind of a good person, you will it, it will it will it will reflect and it, it will it will kind of like it will it will kind of it will spread out and you'll be able to it will change your way of thinking and even stop you to help you stop and think about you know how you can contribute. It's a really difficult question. You know, there's not really any set answer. You know, the things that I was ta- you know that came to mind was like you know mentoring schemes mm. you know um I've, I've, I've you know outside projects there's, a, there's lots of charities which kind of which work with young people especially from our from our neighborhood i know we live in hackney so like you know you know a lot of our peer group we are gentrifiers we've we've came here and we've kind of gentrified hackney and like you know we've kind of taken a lot from you know this this place and we've kind of but we need to kind of give back something to it you know there's no point coming here and like and not wanting to like help local people i think it'd be such a nice thing to do to go go into school and talk about your practice for like half an hour yeah and you might reach one person who might think fuck i could do that i never knew that existed yeah, yeah, yeah. you know and i think like and if you did that like you know three times a year it's not that much time you know it's like and and and, and, and i think we all could do that whether you work in set design or you know our friendship groups, our peer groups, you know, have various professional jobs that kind of would be so exciting for like a 12 year old to hear about, whether they're a photographer or, 
you know, designer, you know, an academic or kind of is like doing a kind of sick job. It's kind of like we all need to like take some control and ownership of it. And, and in the process of doing that, I think we'll really be appreciative of our practice and our job, you know, and realize how much we do love it yeah. and speak about, speak about it with passion. Because I think, you know, you, you can re- be reminded of the things you sort of, it's a really stressful job as well, you know, it's like <laughs> some things you hate about it, but it's really nice to think about the things you like about it. And I think that could really change someone's life. Yeah. I think. It definitely could. And, you know, I mean, when I started out, I was working for free consistently for about a year and a half. And the only way I was able to support myself was I worked on a zero hour contract in a gallery. Um, and I, you know, my parents lived in Hackney and I, I was, I was able to stay with them. It's the only way I could do it. And, mm. you know, I, I, I learned a huge amount during that time period. And because I wasn't being paid for a lot of those jobs, like loads of shorts and low budget music videos and stuff, you know, I could make mistakes and I could ask people questions, but it's not really economically viable. And, you know, if I, for example, like, you know, like you came to London, you had to pay for rent. Like, I'm mm. not sure I would have been able to cope or I would have had to have like had a very different outlook of the way that I would have gone about things. Um, and I think, I think you know, it's not, it's, these, like, these things aren't, terrible and a lot of the things that I experienced really shaped who I am and like give me my give me my perspective and I think we all have our perspectives and I think we all you know we all have the thing but I think you're right to recognize that it's kind of like maybe you wouldn't be able to being able to do the things you did if you didn't live in London I think that's also kind of you know and and even like actually but in terms of like the project going to help people maybe going outside of London to kind of talk about your practice would be more helpful and more urgent you know, going to like, you know, sort of like towns in the north of England or, you know, in ta- you know, small places where you could maybe like really change someone's life because it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. you know, in some ways growing up in London is a kind of advantage in itself. Even if you're from a sort of poor background or a sort of disadvantaged background, you still have some sort of access by proximity to the industry which is sort of happening here. Yeah. I completely recognise that. Like, you know, there are so many incredible museums and galleries that are largely free. Like, Mm. just the fact that, you know, all I have to do is really pay for a bus journey and I'm there. Like, if you do live in a a rural village, you just don't have those artistic opportunities that, um, yeah, that many people in London take for granted. But, um, yeah, I think it's a really important thing to keep thinking about generally within the industry as as you know conversation changes and there is an economic downturn it's important that we keep kind of you know i think i think with i think with the with the with the the pandemic i think people have really shown how kind they are Mm. and how much they do care about one another you know we've all joined like mutual aid groups people have been making ppe i mean the the whole industry itself we it's been we've been leading the the fight to like to help people selflessly you know i don't know anyone who hasn't helped and volunteered and like used their skills to like help the nhs or help other you know other other people in need and i think like you know i'm not i'm not i've got real high ambitions for our industry because I, I know they're lovely people you know and i think like there's a there's something really inspiring about the what's happened you know this could have been a potential the worst thing that could ever happened you know to our culture is like actually shown the sort of the depth and breadth of like people's compassion and I think like 
that is something to kind of hold on to. This is why I think it's really important we can get somewhere with like social change. I think we've shown that we actually do care about things and we do care about other people. Um, and that we're like sick people, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we know how to make a couch look fucking awesome on the whole. Yeah. <laughs> but also do practical things like make face masks. Yes, like yeah, visors. Yeah, yeah. No, there have yeah. been a lot of um, set designers who've bought face masks, who've, who've, who've started making their own face masks and like they've been doing some for charity and now they're just selling them um, mm. or a combination of both. Some are doing bits for charity, like... Um, uh, some potters that I know have like made incredible you know mugs and other things that they've been selling for Black Lives Matter related charities and mm. it's it's really exciting to see the creative industries really coming into their own especially when you know maybe people on top aren't really you know being as helpful as they could be but yeah and, and uh, becoming more grassroots in terms of like how they approach things now I mm. think yeah, there's something really there is change in the air and it's kind of like I just hope we can um, keep this momentum going and like and, and really sort of change things um, for like for good and like make lasting change but I think, I think I'm pretty optimistic to be honest <laughs> <laughs> yeah so am I um, yeah I guess I guess it's like the kind of like tailing off the interview is there a project you'd like to mention that um, was you really enjoyed over the past year like something that really yeah you're just really proud of yeah lo- I think loads actually I think I really I really loved um, the Alavalia job um, I think that was really kind of like beautiful um, to work on just because of her really and like uh, the kind of experience we sort of built like three set we had like an hour to install which was like seemed insane <laughs> so we had like we had these like three sort of set builds which all kind of like kind of like dismantled and like had to be like assembled in this like kind of crazy amount of time um whilst one show was coming down so it was very kind of like 17 people just as, a, as an army like constructing this thing um it's like a ballet but it went so well you know it's kind of like it was just such a kind of like nice thing to do I think, to be honest, it's more like the little jobs I really like, um, you know, sort of working or working with like favourite directors or something. Um, I kind of, yeah, there's, there's, it's kind of the people you work with that of, often affects your, how you perceive a job. Do you find that? It's kind of like... Oh yeah, for you, sure. There's, like, there's like, you know, it could be a slightly hellish job, but if the director's brilliant, you just kind of get on with it and it turns out to be it's one of those rosy tinted things where you're like oh yeah I remember that time I was in that swamp for a day (laughs) at the time it was a fucking swamp it was freezing but you know retrospectively it's like oh yeah but the team was nice and you know blah 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 do you remember digging a grave with me? Uh, yeah and also using my Volvo as a hearse remember I was (laughs) transferred And then they got yes. Yeah. So for, to 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 put some context in, and um, we were on a a film together, and the film involved we needed to get a coffin, and the cheapest coffin I found available was a coffin that was gonna be used at some point. Um. So I went to a mortuary, I believe, with you, and basically picked up this coffin, put it in the back of my car, which then I guess became a hearse. Hearse drove it to set. Um, yeah, and then at the end, when returning the coffin, the um, 
Mort, uh, I guess the mortician, I think is the is the term, was counting the money that we were giving him, like 150 quid, 100 quid, or whatever it was. He was counting it on top of another coffin, which was on <laughs> wheels, which I could only believe was full of a person. Well. <laughs> and then as he was counting the money in, and he was, you know, laying on the gallows, he was pretty thick with um, a bunch of like dad jokes, gallows dad jokes combination, I guess. Um, and then behind him, this door slided open and there was a man standing there with big black gloves in a big tiled room and just a dead body lying behind him. Whoa. Um, no, I definitely wasn't there then. Um, That's maybe, maybe I returned it with someone else for that bit, but um, yeah, it was weird. So he, he I, I just remember yeah. me and you digging a, digging a grave yeah. and it was like in, in, a, in a cemetery in a plot that wasn't, didn't have a headstone. Um, it was an empty plot, we were told, and we were digging this grave and it was raining. And I remember <laughs> we dug about four feet and I was like, this is the worst thing. And I was like, terrified. I was like, so terrified I was going to hit something hard, like a coffin. <laughs> anyway, and just thinking, why am I here? <laughs> <laughs> but it's the people you're with and I think it's kind of like, you know, like you do some crazy stuff, which is like kind of illegal, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um... <laughs> yeah no it's 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 fun like i i really i really like the slightly more abstract parts that we have to we have mm. to do um those kind of things being one of them and like yeah just like being in a swamp as i was saying or i don't know i remember like i had to make there was a it was a it was the first feature i worked on and there was a scene where there were loads of drugs i think and i had to make a load of fake drugs so all the crew were like sat on another table and I was just sat on this main table with tons of baggies. I was like crushing up fake pills. I was just like, <laughs> I had this whole like mini drug lab in front of me. It was so weird, but um, a lot of fun. Such a nice, yeah, such a nice part of the job though, I think. Like, just sort of, I remember writing loads of, I did like, I, was, I, was, I did graphics for years. Yeah. Um, I remember like writing loads of evidence bags, you know, for like crime scenes mm. and stuff. And like putting things inside it, and like using your friends' names as like the kind of nice. <laughs> like... <laughs> so funny. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, I guess you know, uh, quarantine is kind of starting to dwindle at this point. Um, what have you been doing to stay artistically motivated during the whole kind of quarantine period? Mm. I know you kind of I think... talked about it a little bit in terms of DIY, but yeah, I've I've been I've been sort of. Oh... I've had the first, I had like a month and a half off, maybe two months off, um, and I was doing sort of daily yoga. I'm, I'm one of those annoying people. I'm like, I did like daily yoga. Um, I've been reading music a lot as well, so like sight reading. I, I played, I sort of played the piano really badly, but my my flatmates also played the piano. So we've been sort of playing duets and like learning learning music and playing together and like and sort of. So that's been really enjoyable and something I really want to continue. Um, uh, playing the piano. And I started oil painting, um, which I sort of started before lockdown, but it's kind of like, there's been something kind of really therapeutic, find it really cathartic. Um, I, I haven't been reading that much annoyingly. I, don't, I, f- I feel like I felt really like frustrated in, in lockdown. Um, but I've been, I guess I've been reading sort of lately which has been kind of nice it's like pick it up again and be able to sort of relax especially like reading a novel I've been, I've been reading a lot of essays which are kind of like it's not really the same I feel like it's like mm. nice to just get immersed in like a, like a novel 
But yeah, I've been I mean, cooking a lot. We sort of cook like big family meals, um, cooking from scratch, learning new recipes. Um, they're kind of usual. I feel I'm honestly really privileged in that sense. I kind of had a really nice lockdown in a way. Um, and like, you know, I sort of did some volunteering and like managed to get out of the, the house quite a lot. Um, by doing sort of NHS responder thing and like it's been and like meeting interesting people I've been befriending I've sort of befriended some old some old people who were isolating um, and having like long conversations with them and like talking about their career and their their sort of life has been really interesting um, so yeah I think I think I've had a really I've had a really nice time I've I've, I've got to know my sort of neighbours and my sort of local community and my local area as well like in a much deeper way. I've been like wandering the marshes and like, I don't know, finding whole whole new parts that I never really knew existed. Mm. Yeah, the marshes, really are, the marshes are incredible. Um, talking about Hackney marshes and um, the Walthamstow wetlands, like if you are in that part of London, I recommend having a little wander or a cycle by for sure. It's really like being in like the deep depths of the countryside when mm. you're like a stone throw away from like biggest city in Europe so it's like really like wow this exists yeah um, so yeah I feel I feel genuinely quite like awestruck by you know by that um, so yeah I've had I've had a nice time I think the, the, the weather's been really good as well so it's been really, I feel really like lucky to so grateful that lockdown happened in sort of late sort of early spring mm. and sort of got us through it you know and those, those like sunny days and like you know it's been really it's been really nice to sort of I don't know. Just feel like even if, even when you did get to go outside for like once a day, you could you could just sit on the grass or like you know sit outside somewhere and not be kind of trapped in your in your house. Um, and I think and you know and thinking about actually like many people have been spending their lockdown, you know, in the in the most cramped conditions without any sort of open space. You know, it's kind of like feeling really sort of grateful for like having space. So. All right, amazing. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, just one last um, point. I just wanted to um, kind of, we were talking about it before, but there's um, this group called Sporus Company, which are on Instagram, which are really worth checking out. And they're for cinematographers and film technicians dedicated to supporting and uplifting film workers of colour around the world. Um, really interesting collective and definitely worth following. Um, and also Chris, <laughs> Christopher Melbourne. <laughs> Um, I'll put it in the notes um, but yeah thanks so much for coming along and I look forward to seeing you in reality sometime soon oh thanks for having me it was really nice really nice to chat to you the show's intro was composed by Sam McGrail mixed by Max Bloom and the artwork was created by Alec Jagodzinski 